Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. This is actually our third attempt. We've had internet issues, but I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna reel this intro off as if it's the first time. I'm gonna keep this spontaneity. <laughs> I'm Duncan CJ. Today I'm speaking with Adam Scorgi. Adam is an award-winning producer, actor, and writer who, since 2007, along with an awesome team. Uh, has been creating films that both inspire and challenge the audience. His first documentary feature, The Union, the business behind Getting High, was accepted into 33 international film festivals where it won numerous accolades and is currently the highest ranked Canadian documentary on IMBD. And as well as his soon-to-be-released Ice Guardians, he is also one of the guys behind the documentary The Culture High, which further investigates how the modern-day marijuana prohibition affects our society as a whole. Adam, thank you so much for being here. Third time lucky. (laughs) My pleasure, man. I love doing podcasts. I I understand the the technology battles, uh, so hopefully this one works and we have no more struggles, but I'm I'm happy happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. No worries. I mean, it was was super exciting to talk to you. Um, We had a couple of little chat earlier, and you were saying, just before we got cut off, about (laughs) you... You and um, you and your like your filmmaking partner like Brett like completely unknown filmmakers uh, yes. and like you're like fresh out of like you've been you've been in New York and you're back to Canada and you're like hey let's let's make this documentary let's make a documentary about uh, cannabis and the unknown filmmakers contacting all these like top top people saying hey can you be on my documentary I'd love to interview you. Pretty yeah, much, you, you say like that, it's, it's so crazy <laughs> to think we were able to pull it off. Like, hey, this guy, I'm out of acting school. Brett and Steven are fresh out of film school. And we're going to go tackle this monstrous subject that has been a political hot button for four decades or longer. <laughs> and, and we're reaching out to, you know, some of the best in the world. Dr. Lester Grinspoon, uh, you know, the first Ivy League uh, doctor to come out with the real findings of cannabis and speak out about the the lies that were spread for numerous years before with propaganda and, you know, law enforcement, you know, the former police chief of Seattle. And then we were fortunate enough to land Tommy Chong and Joe Rogan. I look at it, the way you just put it there. I'm like, how the fuck did we ever accomplish all that? I don't know. Because uh, we didn't have enough money. It was a lot of passion and a uh, tireless amount of work. And from concept to delivery, I think it was four years to put it, put it, we started in 2004 and it started doing festivals in 2007 uh, to give kind of a, an idea of that. My daughter wasn't even thought of when we started production. And I think she was like a year and a half when we premiered in Vancouver. That, that's what I love. And that's one of the, this is one of the, kind of the topics which I'd love to like touch in on a bit during this interview. Because, I mean, first of all, just anyone who's out there, I'll chuck the links in the bottom. Um, first of all, just... You've just got to check these documentaries out. And there's amazing, there's loads of good interviews on the internet delving into some of like, you know, the war on drugs and like some of the things. And like, I think there's, I'll link up some stuff because there's so much good content already out there. But I, one of the things I'd love to touch on is this idea of just this hustle. Um, and, you know, and this, this idea of like, I got like that is in like almost, I think half it is that sort of naivety which you kind of need to be like just to take on such a mammoth task and I love that it's like yeah screw it let's let's do this let's do that and this is something which I think does this come naturally to you or is this something which like you've learned and you've just kind of just evolved over time you know putting yourself into situations which are uncomfortable and unscary but hey you just you do it I I think it 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 for good for for better or worse it comes naturally I, <laughs> I, I, i've had my friends say like when you're told you can't do something it's like i'm so add or 
hard headed that I'm just like, when you say I can't, my mind doesn't hear I can. It just goes, oh, that means that nobody else is doing it. So perfect. I have no competition, right? <laughs> or very little competition. Um, yeah. And it, some for, I, I've had literally my, some of my best friends say that about me and my team and just being like, why would you, where do you guys think you guys get the balls to just go privately finance and do this doc and don't go through the traditional filming methods or funding groups and, you know, go through the ranks and go out there and do it. And then ice guardians is the same thing. Like for years, everybody's like, Oh my God, the NHL is never going to allow a documentary on fighting and you're never going to be able to do it. And nobody's going to want to watch it. And and honestly, Brett and I, the director, Red Harvey and I, we always look at like, good, if they're saying that, that means that nobody else is doing it. If, you, if it can't be done, which it can, because we proved it on these films that it, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say it just comes naturally. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm awesome. It comes naturally. I just, I, I, I guess I just look at things differently that way. I just don't think it can't be done. And not to say it doesn't come with a ton of stress and pressure. I mean, that the, Brett and I just had like one of our, and we, it happens about once a year where, you know, we kind of have a, we get on the phone and we kind of hash it out and we're stressed and there's pressure and we're trying to do everything. And, you know, as we've become dear friends now, right. Where it was like, we had to go over this stuff and be like, Hey man, like, you know, let's, let's not go through emails and let's hash some stuff out. And just that there's, there's a ton of stress there. It's not, as we talked about before we got cut off before is that, you know, the union, despite it being like, I mean, if you go by the clicks on YouTube and Netflix, it's been seen millions of times, right? Whether those are full views or not. And people would think, oh, well, they must have made a truckload of money. When in fact, my father, who I borrowed almost a quarter million dollars to make that movie, um, it was still owed up until I think this year there's like $35,000 left, but he was like, I was never planning on getting any of it back. So the fact that you were able to pay that much back, I'm good, right? Like you've done your job and, and you, you we can call the rest a wash, right? So there's not the, the money and glory. I mean, I think people look at Michael Moore, they look at these giant ones that, you know, IMDb says they gross 10, 12 million. Well, that's the lottery winners of docs. There are thousands of docs made every year that barely make any money or barely recoup what they did. So it's uh, you don't do it for the money. <laughs> Otherwise, if you were if you were looking at the business model of documentaries strictly from a business perspective, ninety five percent of businessmen would be like, "This is a stupid business, and we're staying the hell away from it." Oh God. Yeah, so I mean, like you said yourself, like this is yeah, this is this is a terrible investment. Um, and it, I mean, it left you guys not just broke, but just like shit, we're in debt. Like, how? I guess the next question is why then? Why? Like, if everything is saying this is a terrible idea, do That's not a do great it. Question. Can I can I ponder that one for a week and get back to you? I don't know. Um, all jokes aside, the reason why is that you you get to live an exciting life, though. Like, I, Brett and I truly love what we do. I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I, I love my job. I love getting to travel the world, interview fascinating people and be inspired and moved after like after a great interview. When you do one of those, there's ones where afterwards we are fired up for two hours talking about what we learned from someone that we sat down with. Right. And it doesn't always have to be a super, you know, uh, like a, like a scholar or someone super, some people just move you. Some people, we, you know, Brett is so good at, 
you know, the questions he does and opening people up and kind of this, this tag team we do because I'll, I'll ask the questions, right? And I have an acting background. It's not, I wasn't very good. I'm a much better producer. But, you know, so, but at least I know how to engage with someone and let them know I'm really interested in what they have to say. And Brett operates the cameras as well as he directs. So he has this great bird's eye view or kind of like outside perspective when he's watching. And if he can see kind of chemistry going or that someone's really getting emotional or passionate about something, he's seeing it through the lens and he'll be like, hey, follow up more on that. I want to talk about more than that. Let's go off script and just just go, right? And other people are like, how do you do it? Like other directors, like how do you do it where he's not asking the questions? And I think it kind of gives him a competitive advantage. It's kind of like, I don't know if you, you played sports or those that have been competitive in sports, that sometimes sitting down and watching your team can be just as effective as practicing or getting involved. Sometimes looking at it and sitting out for a few games, you can be like, oh, I see with the coach why he was trying to do that drill now. That makes sense. Or I see why he was trying to do that. And I think that's why Brett is able to get these people to open up in ways. You know, we had for Ice Guardians, some of the toughest guys to ever play in the last 60 years. And we had them in tears and opening up in ways that, you know, generally hockey players don't. Hockey players are traditionally known for being pretty boring interviews uh, that they're just, they go out there and say, well, there's no I in team and it's all sent <laughs> and I'm just doing my part. Luckily, the puck's just bouncing off my stick. And, you know, we got them to open up and really share their souls, which was really, you know, refreshing. Even people, the few uh, kind of private screenings we've done before the world premiere coming up here people that have been in the hockey world, like sports analysts and writers have been like, I just didn't know those guys that way. Like, man, you've really changed my perspective of these guys. And we're like, great. That's what a great doc should do. Even if you don't agree with everything in the doc, at least it'll help you to just open up and look at all things differently, which I think everything that Brett and I have worked on from the union, the culture high to ice guardians, you don't have to agree with everything it said in there. That's that's not our job as filmmakers. If we can get an emotional response out of you and it has you thinking and wanting to do more research after the film or talking about it or asking questions, that's what a great doc is supposed to do. We're doc filmmakers. We don't get everything right. Don't take our word verbatim, right? Like we're just trying to interview the best people in those fields to give you the best perspective. And hopefully they do it in a charismatic way that really puts it that's something I think Brett does so good is that with these interviews, not only are they great academics or great people that can speak well to the thing, but they put it in a way and Brett edits it in a way in the way they do their interviews that it really makes you think about things in a, in a way you didn't before you watched the film. I mean, building on that, like how powerful, because I mean, I know that, for example, the union and culture high, like, the, this is now being this has been in uh in sort of universities i think you were invited on parliament hill in um in, Van- nice. in, in, in vancouver yeah. both of them and this is actually being given as um like recommended learning to like the politicians like how powerful do you feel that film can be for creating real positive change in the world if done correctly obviously it can be incredibly powerful I mean, you look at other films that have done it too. If you look at Blackfish, right? Like laws are changing all over now with orcas, right? Like it woke people up and people got emotional and weren't having it. And so if anyone and who doesn't know, Blackfish is the documentary about SeaWorld and um, orcas in captivity. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a look at, I would look, and I'm not, I'm definitely to your listeners and to you, Doug, and I'm not saying our films did all this because there's been a lot of people doing a lot of great work. But if you look at the time, 
from when we did the Union and when it released in 2006 to the Cultri, which released in 2014, if you look at how marijuana laws and how they're viewed by the general public just from 2006 to now, the votes when we were looking in 2006, who wanted to see marijuana legalization, the fact that Colorado now has it legal in the state, that seemed impossible when we were doing the union. Like you're like, there's no way it's ever going to get there. And now you see pretty much every democratic country re-looking at marijuana policy and the medical aspects. When we did the union, they were still being debated as if there's any real value. And you'll still hear people trying to say, well, there's been no proper studies and this and there's been thousands. It's just that the ones, the way the funding works for proper studies is in order to get the financing to do a study, you have to be generally most of the financing now is coming from pharmaceutical companies that want to benefit from the financing, the, the studies that they do to then make a drug that they can then own the rights to to then sell and make millions. So they're not going to spend the money unless they know they can recoup it. So yes, a lot of the studies before that were funded by you know political groups that wanted to show only the negatives of marijuana or when they were studying it like you know, they're saying, oh, marijuana does this. And then, you know, botanists and stuff are like, which strand are you talking about? And how did you consume it? And what fertilizers did you grow with? Because there's like 10,000 strands. And if you didn't check for contaminants in your water and harmful fertilizers and all these other things, how do you know that you're smoking? And then are you ingesting it? Are you burning it? Because if you're burning it, then you're getting harmful carcinogens from burning plant matter into your lungs, or you could turn it into an oil and ingest it. So it, it, it is really changed from when we first started. So I'm not saying that the union and the culture did all of this. Absolutely not. There's been a lot of great people that have changed the policies that are changing all over. But I would definitely think that both films played a small part in making a lot more people look at the situation differently and wanting to dive into the research and opening their eyes to the possibilities in the medical side and then mm. the possibilities that the drug war has done more damage than it has helped society. I love the, uh, I love the, uh, the Tupac quote about, uh, about sparking the mind. Can you, can you say that? The about as in, cause as in, um, so like, for example, I think maybe being modest, like is in terms of like, um, like for example, you may not be the one to change the world, but you can spark the brain or the mind out there that will change the world. Um, yes. So almost like think like, okay, maybe this one thing alone might not be the thing that's going to make a huge difference in the world, but somebody could see that who could be the person who to then go on to like make vast differences. And so I think just by putting out that content, you know, by putting out um, stuff, which, you know, you think is going to make a difference. You have no idea out there who's going to, who's going to, stumble across that film they might be the other side of the world but then that might lead to something it'd lead to something um which could like make the difference so um i have two great stories about that about seeing it firsthand how this little indie film from three guys in a basement suite in western canada have impacted the world and made change on whether you call it micro or macro or small levels but really interesting so first off my buddy uh, jeffrey morris him and a friend went and saw the union back in 2006 or 2007 at the, Ver at the Vermont International Film Festival. One of the 33 we did, I think it was around the 6th or 7th at the time, we had no money, so we weren't able to attend. Um, but him and his friend, I believe Matt, went and they saw it. And I think Matt saw it first, and he's like, Jeff, you, they, drove, they had to drive two hours to go to where the second screening was. They're like, you've got to see this movie. My God, it changed my perspective of marijuana. 
So they went and then Jeff went and started. He had inspired him so much that he then went to law school at Suffolk University and he found out about Normal, the national organization to reform marijuana laws. Um, and there was no chapter at Suffolk, so he started it. And since then, all because of the union, of watching it, he wanted to start a chapter, be political. It is now one of the largest uh, normal uh, university chapters with over 3,500 members, and they constantly do uh, political rallies and educate people on the drug wars, and they've had both films come out and screen there. Um, truly amazing. That was from two guys that went and watched it and then have started a chapter at Suffolk University, graduated from law school there, uh, and went on to continue to be advocates in the space. Another example, which would hit home in the UK, is our associate producer on The Culture Eye, uh, Jason. He was someone that uh, was suffering from fibromyalgia. And I know in the UK, you guys have a real crazy law there where it's, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're still known, they still don't qualify cannabis as having any medical value yet. Uh, Sativex, which is made there, Sativex or the, the drug, uh, it's produced there and they ship it to other parts of the country for medical purposes, yet the UK itself does not accept cannabis as having any medical value, correct? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. I'm not certain, but yeah. So yes. I don't know what the laws. I haven't been hip to it. Like that's something people often they're like, "Man, what do you think about the new laws in West Virginia?" I'm like, "Man, I'm on to other films now." Not to say I don't appreciate and respect everything we did in the other ones. I just, I, I, I have three kids. I have a life. I just can't keep track of all the things. But at the time when we did the union, that was one of the big hypocrisies. Is that not far from Jason's house was the factory where they made this this drug, which is a spray that you put in so there's no carcinogens, you don't have to smoke anything for medical purposes that was sold to other parts of the world, made in 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 Great Britain, but Great Britain itself does not recognize cannabis as any medical value. So it was really kind of strange of how that operates and does that and where are you getting the cannabis from and because that's illegal to grow there. And so anyway, he had reached out to me on Facebook and you know, talking about the new age of technology, he would just send me these nice things. He's like, man, your movie changed my world. I started using cannabis for my fibromyalgia. It helps me function. I was able to get off the codeine and stuff, which was destroying my liver. He's like, it has completely changed my life. You have no idea how much your film has helped me. And I was like, really? Like, it seemed crazy to me, right? And we're talking through Facebook and, you know, you get a lot of crazies through social media and then you get a lot of great people too. So at first I wasn't sure who he was. And then he just would constantly send me great messages and really supportive and how much it helped him. And very moving for Brett and I as filmmakers. We're like, wow, we just never knew that the film would do that for people. That's crazy. And then he was the one that landed all of our UK. After that, he became very active and he's the only LEAP member. And for those people that don't know what LEAP is, LEAP is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And there are thousands of them all over the world that worked on the other side, that incarcerated people for small drug offenses and saw that they are doing way more damage to communities and to societies by incarcerating people, taking away the right to education, putting them in cages for nonviolent offenses. That they've now started an organization that is, I say, the front runners, the people that are really, really making the most headway in the last 10 years. Because it's hard to argue people that were former DEA, ex-drug SWAT teams and everything else that they're like, man, it was an endless cycle that we're, we're only – we financially benefit just as much as the drug dealers. So there's a, a hate-love relationship that's going to continue forever. Um, he's the only president that is not former law enforcement and he's a head of LEAP UK. 
because he's such a respected member. He speaks very intelligently and um, he was the one that lined up Richard Branson's interview and Professor David Nutt and uh, Julian Hoopert and Howard Marks. Like all of our UK interviews was set up by him through him being inspired by the film, reaching out to me, us two connecting, him seeing what he could bring to the table and how politically active he had got. Um, so those are two experiences we have seen just personally of how these things that you, you never think of. You put out a film, you just want to make a great film and how they've affected people's lives. So now he runs the UK chapter of Leap, uh, which is very prominent in London now and, and works with all kinds of people in uh, law enforcement as well as in the political realm. And that was two people that were just inspired from watching a documentary a couple of years before. Who are Jason David and Jaden? And what was it about that story that blew you away? So, uh, I mean, I, that, that clip now on YouTube has over 30 million views, I think. Um, it'd be nice if it was on our Facebook page, but welcome to the digital era where somebody ripped your work. At least they, I wrote the guy and said, Hey man, if you're going to completely take our segment and use it for your Google analytics and your Facebook page to build your page and could you at least like tag the culture high so people know that it, like it's our film and our work. And he's like, Oh yeah, sure, sure. Um, that just happened with ice guardians too. our trailer released and we were trying to get all our hits to YouTube and someone the hockey webcast put a, a guy out of Sweden, put it on, he embedded it into his Facebook and his has 1.7 million views, right? And we're like, that's awesome because we can show it. But at the same time, we're like, that should be our Facebook page. <laughs> but welcome to the new digital age. But uh, yeah, Jason, David and, and Jaden, um, you know, I, I think that has probably changed more people's perspectives of what can happen. You have a father that was not willing to give up on his son, that his son was having hundreds of seizures a day. They told him his son would never walk. His son would never talk. He was put on all kinds of drugs, 22 pills a day for the first seven years of his life. And some of these drugs like benzobenazepines, like, man, it's, it's like worse than heroin. Well, that means the most ridiculous argument when you say, well, I'd never give my kids cannabis or drugs. And I was like, but you'll give them benzos and you'll give them these other things that doctors give to you in a thing without doing any research. Just a doctor says, hey, this will help for his, his tremors or this will help for this. And you have no idea or the long-term effects. A lot of these drugs are new and experimental and you don't even know what they're derivatives of. A lot of them have like you know, methamphetamines and opiates and all these really harmful substances that you're like, oh, well, doctor said, and it's this odd looking blue pill that looks very unnatural, but sure, I'll give it, but oh, liquid cannabis? Absolutely not. And then, you know, as the father explains, he's given liquid cannabis, which is CBD high, no THC or very little, so there's no psychoactive effects. So all the harms that you're worried about cannabis, they're not there. The kid doesn't get high, although he's getting super high off the prescription drugs he's giving. In fact, he had night terrors and was seeing hallucinations and shit like that, was waking up in the middle of the night. And then he has his first seizure-free day in his life. And then all of a sudden, he continues to use it and starts to change his diet and removing sugars and doing these other things that are very harmful to people that can be epileptic. And now the kid is walking and he's going to school and he's having a life. And then he's being prosecuted for using a prohibited substance to help his son. And you're having more and more. And the great thing about the digital age is that video is able to go out and go viral and go live. And then other families are like, I've been going through the same struggles, right? I, I like, And when it's your kid, like I have kids, I know where I'd be there too. I'm like, fine. They want to put me in jail because I'm going to do something to make, that I can see the results of my kid living a better life, then arrest me. Because I'm not, 
There's no pain, as the clip says, there's no pain worse than seeing your child suffer. There's no pain worse than that because you can't, it's not like other things in life, like I earlier in the podcast talking about creative hustle and what you need to make, you know, for us docs or whatever your dream job is come true. You can grind harder and you can sacrifice personal time and you can do other things to make sure that you're successful. When your kid's sick, you can't work harder. You can't do anything. You have to trust the system other than I guess what you know, uh, Jason did with his son, Jaden, he didn't accept the system and he looked for alternative options and he looked online and found alternative options and found results that are working for his son. And then he takes it one step further. He doesn't just settle with that. He then goes out and say, Hey, what can I do to help others going through the same situation? So that's why he jumped on the film. And that's one part that when we screen that movie, there's families crying in the audience yeah. almost all the time. And even the first few times I watched it, it got really emotional, just the way Brett was able to edit it and put the music on there. And um, it's, it's moments like that and, and being able to get that story out there that it's just, how do I ever go back to doing a regular day job that just earns me numbers on a piece of paper that helps me to pay for a lot of things I don't need? It's tough to not want to just continue making films that inspire people and, and, and the world in a positive way. Well, I think that kind of leads on slash maybe answers. I don't know. Today, like what drives you today? It, it's, it's that. I, I, as I said earlier, I, I love what I'm doing. I love being inspired and being passionate and being moved by interviews that I do and seeing my film. One of my favorite things is when we get to screen one of our films to a full audience. Like I, I, I get giddy. People are like, they're like, oh, do you want to sit out in the lobby? I'm like, no, no, no. I want to sit in the theater and watch. And people are like, but you've already seen it like hundreds of times. I'm like, but I've never seen it with this audience, right? So it's totally new going through it with an audience and seeing where some people laugh where other people didn't or other people get emotional where other people didn't or they get frustrated. or I, I, It is so moving to do that. And, and, and another part that's really cool that we just never expected as filmmakers, when I organize these premieres, which are super stressful, and there's days when I wonder, I'm like, why do I put so much pressure on trying to organize these private screenings and everything? But they're like a wedding. I have people that come out that haven't been out in years. I haven't seen them since the last movie premiered. They come out and support and want to see your film. And something so cool about that, it's kind of bringing a community together instead of always just using social media and texting everybody that, I know for me, just seeing the way that it's affected people, and even with Ice Guardians, it's you know maybe not as big of a global issue, but you know we did a private screening for hockey royalty here recently, and I could shout out names, but you know I, unless you're a diehard hockey fan, they wouldn't matter. But let's just say whatever sport it is that you have legends from the '60s and '70s to current players, there are 60 current and former NHL players in the room. And all night, they wanted to come and meet me and ask about Brett Harvey and I and just say thank you for making a film that told the role of the enforcer and the, and the history of our sport so well. And as a filmmaker, you're like, you know, you're, I was sharing the stage with three Hall of Famers and several All-Stars. And they're asking questions. And there's, there's also regular people in the audience for this private screening because the actual world premieres September 12th. And... I, I had, was taken back where I, like these are guys that I had their posters on my wall when I was a kid, right? These phenomenal players. And I was like, should I just sit in the audience and ask you guys questions too? Because I can't believe I'm on stage right now and you guys are talking about my team's work. Like, wow, what a moment. And it's moments like that that for me, you can't put a price tag on that. You know, no big vehicle or fancy house or flashy jewelry is going to make me want to replace that. 
Um, and in fact, I, I, and I don't mean to bash people that that's their goals. That's how they've been raised. And I guess that's what makes them excited. But, you know, when I, when I have conversations with people and all they're telling me is how much money they make and how expensive their car is and how fancy their watch is, I literally just look at them and be like, man, you are lost. Like you are lost in a game that no one's going to remember what, 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 what watch you're buried with, right? Or what car you had when you died. Those things aren't going to matter. What's going to matter is the influence and legacy you leave on with other people. And how did you help the world in a better way? And I'm not trying to say that in a cliche, like transition the world, but you can leave moments of like, you know, like the Tupac quote you're saying that you inspire somebody else today, go on and do great things or, and that doesn't have to be that they save the world or cure cancer. But, you know, for me, that's just so much more fulfilling for me as a person than if I had a new car or if I had a big house or if I had lots of money to go to the bar with or something, it just, that, that just, that to me is so hollow and it, it is not interesting. So for me, it, I love being able to tell great stories and interview, 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 it's cool and, uh, you know, interesting people. And that's what keeps me going down this crazy road of having very little money, but getting to have an exciting lifestyle. <laughs> if you had to give that like, one piece of advice or say that like, one thing, all our listeners can, take away or act on today that have a big impact on their lives what what would you say to them I'm i would you on the say, spot so <laughs> yeah no no i would say you know don't make excuses for why you can't do what you really want to do i i had this uh and i don't i i don't have a good way of saying it other than to tell a story and put it in a because I'm, I'm passionate as you can see i ramble on and tell stories but i had this recently i was speaking at a panel and at a film panel and there's a, a an older gentleman there that he was like man you know i really want to do this thing but i just don't have the time and it's tough you know it's tough to do this when you're trying to do a day job and everything and and i let him finish and i was like man you are absolutely right and i totally agree but i'm going to give you an idea about how do you really efficiently use your time because up until just a couple of years ago i was working three jobs and making these films because i made little to no money making films that just spent a lot of money making films. Um, so I put it to him this way. I was like, up until two years ago where I was able to do, be a producer full-time, I was working a sales job for Shaw during the day, Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. till 4. I was working at the nightclubs on Friday and Saturday as a door guy uh, to make extra cash. So after I'd work at Shaw, I'd go like get a quick workout, hang out with the kids, and then I'd go work till 2 a.m. Then you know Saturday and Sunday, I'd have my kids. And Saturday night, I'd work again. So I only really had Sunday off. And then even on that Sunday and during the week when things, when I was trying to be able to not be doing two jobs plus, so I had those two jobs plus films and I had kids. Literally, I would look at like, okay, my daughter's going to nap on Tuesday at this time and Wednesday at this time. So that's when I have time that I'm not, you know, not paying attention to my kids, but that's when I have time to focus on my dream, which is becoming a producer full time and doing research and moving the projects forward and connecting to the people I need to and getting on the internet and putting together a resume or reel, whatever I need to do to use that time efficiently. We all don't have time. We all have busy lives, but I, I love how we make excuses for us to make our dreams come true. Well, I'll get started on that script I've always wanted to do right after I do the dishes and I clean my house and I get this done. Whoever wants to fucking do the dishes and clean their house. But that's resistance and that's going to come at life. There's a great book about this called The War of Art. 
and it talks about resistance. You can refer to it as the devil or if you're religious or anything, but it's always there. And there, and I still struggle with it today that you'll be like, well, if I just go and do this first and just go and do that first. And then I check with myself and be like, when do I ever want to do the fucking dishes? When do I want to make the bed or clean or do my laundry? I'm putting that in front of my dream profession that I want to do. Really? Why? Why am I doing that? Because it's, oh, it's tough to overcome challenges when you're going for your dream project because you know it's going to be tough and you know you're going to struggle and it's going to be stressful and it's going to seem like it's impossible, right? So your body will naturally put all these blocks or resistance in front of it. So when I was saying to this guy, I was like, listen, time is pressure. I have three kids. I know I worked three jobs and had kids up until two years ago. But instead of going out with my friends on Saturday night and drinking, or instead of, you know, watching my favorite TV show, or doing something else that yes, they they are pleasurable times, and you need to have a social life too. But instead of maybe having four hours of social time, you cut it down to one. And you're like, I'm going to spend those other three hours making my dream career come true or focusing on whatever I goal I have. If it's running a marathon or getting in better shape, it's amazing how we put a bazillion things ahead of what we really want to do. So if I had to get some advice is really ask yourself that honest question. Am I really giving it 110% effort to do whatever it is I really want to do? Whether that's sing, write, become a lawyer, become a doctor, a nurse, whatever that is for you. I believe we could all carve out time if we really, really, really wanted to make it happen. And I'd like to believe that's what's allowed me to survive in this crazy industry that I'm in. Is that fortunately enough, I will make sure that I figure it out. E- even now, this morning, I, I got to fly to Vancouver. There's a lot of press going on with Ice Guardians. I was up at 5 a.m. because that's the only time I can get in a workout because my kids start at 7. Then I get my daughter ride to school. Then I have to go pick her up afterwards. I have to get work done. I'm doing a podcast with you. Like My day has to start. And like, Yeah, I operate on very little sleep. Would I love eight or nine hours and sleep in? Yes, I'd love it. But I can't. If I, like, you just have to really buckle down and try carve out that time. And I, I think if you really look at – if you analyze yourself honestly – and look at how you're managing your time officially. I think everyone, including myself, just doesn't do it, especially when it comes to making your dreams come true. And I would say try to do that, even if it's dedicating that extra half hour a week. And I guarantee in the long haul, you'll see results. Last but not least, where can we send people? How can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, I'm all over the internet and easily approachable, as you found out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Adam score, like a goal with a big G. Cause that's how my name's pronounced. Thank you for getting it right. Actually, Duncan, the beginning there, most people say Scorgy or Scorgy. something. <laughs> Scorgy. So yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. You can, if you go to, if you Google me, you can find like my websites to Scorgy productions or ice guardians. I am the only guy that manages all of them. So when you're getting a response, whether it's on the Union Facebook page, the Culture Eye Facebook page, the Ice Guardians Facebook page, the Ice Guardians Twitter, the Culture Eye Twitter, <laughs> that's me. Uh, <laughs> people often say, I never know if it's your assistant. I'm like, assistant? I'd love one of those. That seems like a unicorn, like a mythical creature that's out there that maybe one day I'll be able to afford. But as of right now, I can't. So I'm usually pretty good about getting back in a timely manner. But forgive me, I'm a little scatterbrained currently with our new film, uh, releasing brett and steven put in 
their truckloads of work making the film and editing and research and all that. And then this is really where I kind of have to step in is I have to promote it and make sure that we recoup our money for our investors and, and, and do media and all that stuff. So, but I am, I'm very approachable. I, I don't consider myself, um, anything special. I'm just a, a, a creative hustler trying to uh, live my dream like everybody else. Adam, Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> well, pleasure, man. Thank you very much for uh, checking out my work and having me on. It's, uh, I'm still flattered to this day that people want to listen to me babble. So thank you, listeners, for listening to uh, this uh, crazy Canadian uh, tell his story. <laughs> I'll catch you soon, dude.